Our scripture today is out of Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I, I pray that through this last sermon on this, uh, this text, that you'd illuminate what you want us to see. And God, that we would understand what this means for us and how to live it out. God, I'm praying for those that are here uh, this morning that are just residing in doubt, that just have such a difficult time just accepting what you have for them. Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen them, that you'd strengthen uh, their hearts, their minds. Lord, I pray for those that are just steeped in sin and just have no way of knowing of how to get out. Lord, I pray for their release, that, uh, that they would see themselves and understand that they're in slavery, that they are enslaved to sin. And Lord, we pray for those that are just uh, kind of complacent in their faith. Lord, I pray for all those that have just through COVID just become complacent. Um, they've uh, stopped really attending church. They've stopped really caring um, about a lot of things. Lord, you've been gracious to us at times during this, this time period. If we haven't experienced great sickness, uh, us personally, Lord, uh, many of us are, are at times are even doing better um, Lord, I pray that the complacency would go away, that, Lord, that you would bring about a sense of who they are without you and who they can be with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. How do we live out the story of the prodigal sons, which really shouldn't be called the story of the prodigal sons. It should be called uh, the story of the loving father. Uh, it is... A, it is a, a story about a, an incredibly gracious and loving father who has two types of sons, and most of us fit into one or both. In fact, all of us have tendencies that are younger brotherish, and all of us have tendencies that are older brotherish. And so this morning, I, uh, I want to briefly kind of go through the passage just uh, a, a little bit again, and then kind of wrap up with how we can live out this. Uh, this idealized life that God has for us through his love, 
uh, through the, the resurrection, how we can live that life out and how that can become a part of our, our daily life. As you saw at the very end there, my son was dead and he's alive again. He, is lo- he was lost and now he is found. How do we live in aliveness? How do we live in this idea of being found? How does it, how does it change us? Because I, I suspect that, that many of us don't feel very changed all the time by the word of God. Or maybe you don't see how you could be changed uh, by the word of God. And so this morning, I want, you to, I want you to see that. This story, part of the reason why we would go through this uh, so much is that I think it's struck a nerve in our church in a way uh, that maybe other passages haven't. Um, but I think that we come by that honestly because I think for centuries uh, upon centuries, uh, this story has uh, really resonated with the church. As I've said in previous sermons on the same passage, that we've primarily been focused on the younger brother and the, his sin and how gracious his father is to him. And we forget about the fact that the story is actually geared towards and pointing towards these Pharisees. Will they come into the party? Jesus is telling this story in front of uh, some religious people, it, it would seem. And the, the question is left to them, like, will you actually come into the party and celebrate your younger brother? There's just shocking things about Jesus that these, these Pharisees, these religious people, are not able to accept. They're not able to accept uh, the idea that, that, that Jesus would hang out with tax collectors and sinners, that he would receive these people into relationship. And as we've said for over the last couple of weeks and all the way through Good Friday and Easter, that he not only says that I, I, I'm receiving them, but I go after them. I pursue them. I'm, I'm pursuing them as a shepherd would a lost sheep. I'm pursuing them as a, uh, a woman who has lost one of her very valuable coins, who is probably quite poor. I'm, I'm pursuing them. I'm going after them. And I think... What we really miss in the midst of this today is we miss the reality that we are so lost. And it, but if we've got, but even if we've gotten that, we come to faith and then it's it's we we kind of coast. I think we're in a period of time, and this isn't to beat up on you. It's 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 us. It's it's us as the church, is that we have become quite complacent. We've become pretty, uh, pretty uh, comfortable, pretty consumeristic. We've become complacent because you can come to church and you can have an experience. You can have an experience of uh, great music and great sound and uh, subwoofers. We've often said that subwoofers is one of our core values. Maybe you felt our core value this morning, um, but, uh, but you can come and you can have an experience. You can, you can have an experience of, of uh, just being lifted up and, and hearing people singing together. You can have an experience in all of that. But just, that experience alone doesn't transform you. That experience alone doesn't, doesn't really uh, change things. What changes you is resurrection in your life. What changes you and what allows you to become a different person is practicing the resurrection, as Eugene Peterson says. And so let me get into this uh, uh, as we move forward here. In the beginning of the passage, it says this, that the younger son took his father's, uh, his father's money, he asked for his inheritance, he wished his father dead, and he goes away to a far country. And many of us uh, before Christ are in a far country, we're in a place that is, that is very distant. It's, it, is, it is far away. And the reality is, is that the elder brother is also in that very same place. The elder brother is also in a far away country. It's just in his mind. He didn't physically go there. He mentally went there. He didn't physically go and sin with passion. He stayed and he sinned with attitude, as one commentator puts it. 
He had this sin of attitude towards his younger brother, towards those people uh, that, are, that are outwardly sinful, and yet he himself is inwardly sinful. And so he is also in a faraway country. And many of us must also see that we are in a faraway country. We're in a place of, of lostness. We're in a place where we, we're, we're, we're disconnected from the Father. We just want the Father's things. We're not really connected with him. We're just, we might be there with him in church, or we might be outside of the church and, and living a, a, a licentious life. We may have grown distant from God over time, and we've gone away and we've said, I just, you know, I like the good things that God has given me. I have this sense of the Father's love, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go and do whatever I want in spite of the fact that the Father loves me. But that is to not know the love of the Father. In fact, the elder brother also doesn't understand that either, but I'm getting ahead of myself. The second thing that really stuck out to me this week was this, this phrase, but when he came to himself, that's in verse 17, but when he came to himself, speaking of the elder brother, he comes to a point where he has lived it up. He comes to a point where he has, he has spent everything, where he has exhausted all of his resources, where he has gone after everything that he's ever wanted. And he comes to a point where he kind of wakes up out of, out of this stupor. He kind of wakes up out of, out of what's happening there. He kind of comes to his senses. It really speaks to the idea that sin makes us crazy. It's not just that I have some sins in my life, it's that my whole way of thinking, my whole way of life is not life, but it's actually death. My whole way of life is living in death. And I think that these things are going to bring me life. I think that these things are going to bring me great experience. And to, in today's world, it's found in the idea that you should do what you feel, say what you feel, act how you feel, do whatever feels right to you. See, all of us are in a faraway country. All of us are in a place of craziness. And we haven't come to our senses many times. We haven't come to our senses. And you, it, maybe you can resonate with this, where you come to a point where you say, what was I thinking? If you've ever gotten into an argument with your spouse and said things that you shouldn't have said, and you think to yourself, what, what, what was I thinking? If you've done something that, that, that was just egregious, you say, what was I, what was I thinking? Well, the, the reality is, is that we aren't thinking. We're just doing. We're doing what our bodies are telling us to do. We're doing what sin has done to us from the very beginning of time, since the beginning of, of Adam and Eve. It was doing what I believed was right. It was doing what I believed I should be doing. But this young man comes to his senses. The elder brother, as I said on, on Sunday, last Sunday, is uh, in a worse position because he hasn't awoken from his stupor. He hasn't awoken from his craziness. As you, you might know, when somebody who is going through a mental health crisis, the things that they see and feel, if they're having delusional uh, thoughts or, or things like that, if you've ever run into uh, uh, some of the many people that are on our, on our streets, and we have many in, in Salem because of the state hospital being here and so forth, but some of these people have... They have an alternate reality. They're seeing things, they're hearing things, they're, they're feeling things that are not there. You could sit there and you could try to tell them that that's, that's not really happening, no one's after you. The government is not tracking you right now, a homeless person on the streets of, uh, of Salem. But that is what sin does to us. It takes us to a place where we see and think and feel things that are not real. The, the greatest reality that you can have is to be in relationship and at home with your God. It is the very thing that you need, that you must have. It's the thing that you're constantly desiring. You're going after it. You believe that I will finally find home. I will finally find the place where I feel at peace. I will finally find the, the thing that I, I believe will fulfill me if I just go after this sexual escapade, if I just go after this relationship, 
If I just, if, if I just continue in this way, if I, if I just act in these ways, if I just do these things, if I could just get that job, if I could just, if my kids could do the right thing, if, if, if I could just get married, if I could just get divorced, if I could just, it's craziness. The beauty of what happens to the younger brother and what also needs to happen to the elder brother, of which we have many in our churches today, is that he came to himself. He comes to his senses. See, sin makes us crazy. Sin makes us delusional, and we've believed the delusion, and we believe that our home, that our utopia, that our real life will be found on our terms and without God. And it's a slap in the face to God. Both the older and the younger brother uh, have uh, slapped the face of their father. But how does the father respond? How does the father respond to this, uh, to this young man? Well, it says this in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off. Verse 20 says, but while he was still a long way off. And I, th these are just phrases that stuck out to me this week as I was preparing. These are the ones that I, I just thought, I feel like we need to unpa unpack that a little bit. But while he was still a long way off, Tim Keller talks about how in his book, uh, Prodigal God, uh, which is about this very same passage, he talks about how the son had not even begun to repent. He had not even opened his mouth yet, but while he was still a long way off, how far off? I believe it was the moment that the son left. It was the moment that the son left that the father wanted the son back. And he graciously allowed him to go. He graciously allows him to go. And from that very moment, many commentators talk about how the father, who knows what his property looked like. Did he live on some hills? Not very many trees in that area. He could see for miles away. He's, he's wealthy. He has a, a house on a hill. He can see when anybody's coming up the trail. He knows which direction he went, and he just keeps looking in that way. He, he keeps scanning the horizon. He keeps looking for his son. He keeps longing for his son. He's, he keeps anticipating him. There, there wasn't a conversation that the father thought to himself, now what am I gonna do if the son comes back? There wasn't a, there's not a question in the father's mind. The father is, is sitting there and he's, he's scanning the horizon. He's looking for his lost son who's off in a far country and living it up and living however he wants to live. And he's scanning the horizon for that son and he's, he's looking for him and he wants to have him back. And so when he sees just the, a glimpse of, of him on a far hill, he sees him, he, he, he knows what his son looks like. I, I, uh, when I'm watching uh, my oldest son on the baseball field, oftentimes I, I'm looking for mannerisms uh, that what, they're all in a uniform. I wish they could have different uniforms. My, my son's in the hot pink, you know, that would be, uh, well, maybe not hot pink, but it'd be easier for me as a parent. Uh, we have to sit so far away from the field today because of COVID and all that, so it's hard, hard to tell. But in any case, uh, he sees a familiar walk. He sees mannerisms and he says, that's my son. I know my son. And God is scanning the horizon for you. God is scanning the horizon for you. It doesn't matter if, if you're in this place where you're, where you're like, you know, I've, I've been doing this Christian thing for a while. I feel like I'm, I'm on, I'm, I'm on the, the right track. I think there's areas of our life where the Father is scanning the horizon for you and for me. There's areas in our life where God is looking for you to come over the hill. And I, and I, I wonder what, what we're thinking in that moment is what's, what's, what's he gonna say? What's, how's he gonna act? The Father makes no bones about it. But while he was still a long way off, the father feels compassion. It's, that's his first response for you. The father's response to you is to feel compassion. 
That's the very first thing. Think about your sin. Think about where you're at today. Think about where you've been. The Father's thought towards you in the midst of your sin, in the midst of all of your craziness, is that he feels compassion for you. He just loves you. He just loves you. And he kind of says the same thing to the older son. Yet the older son represents the righteous, which in the Gospels is not really someone who is actually righteous. It's somebody who believes that they're righteous. The son that believes that he's never done anything to harm the father. He's never sinned, never disobeyed a command. The father also feels the same sense of love for the self-righteous person of which our church has many. The father feels a a great deal of love for you. And though you may not be uh, literally in a far off country, and though you may not seem like you're out of your mind, you also are out of your mind. You also are disconnected from the Father. But the Father says to the Son, Son, you're always with me. I really talked about that, I think, last week. But he says, all that is mine is yours. I've given you everything. You have everything at your fingertips. You have all of my love, all of my affection. It's never, it's never gone away. All of the rule keeping and all of the thoughts of if I do these things, he will accept me and he has to accept me. If I just follow all the rules, then, I'll, then I will get married. If I follow all the rules, then I will have the right job and I won't lose my house. If I follow all the right rules, then everything will turn out just fine. If I go to the right school, everything will go great. But the father says to the older son, he says, all that is mine is yours. He's already told the younger son that. When the younger son comes and he, and he says, nonsense, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet, and kill the fattened calf. It's a welcome back into the family. It's... it's it's, it's his own robe, it's his own ring, it's his shoes. It's all that is mine is yours. Bring everything of mine and give it to this son. But the son who's been home the whole time, the elder, the elder son, all that is, that is the father's is his and he can't seem to get that. He thinks he still needs to work for it. And do you know that most people who claim Christianity today, that this is their biggest problem. Most of us in this room do not understand the gospel. Most of us do not see the reality that all that the Father has is ours. It's already yours. All of his acceptance, all of his love, all of his grace, all of his mercy, And the the biggest thing that must happen, the most important thing that must take place is to come to the point where we finally accept that the Father loves me, not because of my good works, but in spite of my good works. In spite of all of the things that I think that I'm doing to merit his good works, in, in spite of all the ways that I insult him by thinking that I have to work for his love and acceptance, the Father loves me all that he has is mine. The Father is scanning the horizon for you while you're in a far off country. Even though we're out of our mind, he's beckoning us to come to ourselves, to come to a point where we wake up. And while we're still a long way off, he's running towards us. And he's yelling to you, all that is mine is yours. And the only question is, will we come into the party? Will we come in to the party? Now, many of us have received the invitation. Many of us have walked the aisle. Many of us have, whatever it is, raised a hand in a service. Many of us have 
have, have said, I, I'm cool with God. Jesus is, is, uh, is my homeboy. What, what, however you would say, would say that. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with God. I have a relationship with God. That's great. But the, the question isn't, isn't whether you've received the invitation or you know about God, but are you engaging with God? And how do we engage with God? I think he gives us a clue. Verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We had, we had to celebrate. We had to throw a party. And what we have to ask ourselves is, have we entered into the party? I think much of Christianity today does not enter the party. It receives the invitation to the party, but it hasn't entered the party, hasn't gone in. It's, it's only received this invitation and has not actually commenced to partying, to living it up God style. We're still toying with death. We're still toying with that idea. We're still, we're, it, there may be, even be some who are still in a far off country. We've received the invitation. We know of the Father's love, and yet we haven't come. And Jesus' question, even for the elder brother, is Will you come into the party? Jesus' love is not just for the fallen and obvious sinner, but his love is for the not so obvious sinner, the one who's attending church all the time. But there's something about him and that, that really shows that he hasn't come to his senses yet, and that is that he cannot celebrate his younger brother. He cannot celebrate. And so the question is, is this, how do we come to party like we were dead and now we're alive? We were lost and we were found. How do we enter into that party? I was reading a book uh, just recently called uh, Practicing the Resurrection by Eugene Peterson, which was an interesting title to me because I was talking with my counselor just uh, the other day, and he was saying that resurrection life has to be lived out. Resurrection life has to be commenced with in the life of the believer. It has to take place. It has to be uh, enveloped. It is where we get our greatest hope. It's not just in the invitation to the party, it's entering into the party. It's practicing the resurrection. And I think the Apostle Paul tells us about that in Ephesians 1, verse 15. Beginning in verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Look at what Paul's praying for believers. Eugene Peterson calls this, this is what resurrection life looks like. This is what it, this is what it, it means. This is what Paul is praying for. He's praying for resurrection life. In fact, he's gonna say that. So he, he's praying that the Father is gonna give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you're gonna know, not just about him, but you're gonna know him and that you'd have the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you'd be awakened from your stupor, that you would come to a point, that you and I would come to a point where it's not just that we know about God, it's not just that we know about church, it's not just that we like Jesus, it's not just those things, but that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to the reality of what actually has taken place. I was in a far off country. I was out of my mind. Elder brother, younger brother, doesn't matter. And the father sees me and feels compassion for me, even in the midst of my far offness, even in the midst of my mental health crisis, even in the midst of my sin, that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened, that, that you may know, oh, I love this statement, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the, that you that you would understand, that you would see 
that a relationship with God, that the invitation to the party is not an invitation to stodgy religion. That you would know and that you would understand that the invitation to the party is this incredible hope to which he has called you. What are, I hate the way that the ESV says that, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It's that all that, all that is mine is yours. Everything that I have is yours, my son, my child. Everything that I have is yours. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet and kill the fattened calf. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The power of God. If you are a Christian today, no matter how lost you feel, no matter how far away from God you feel, no matter how many times you haven't read your Bible or haven't prayed, or no matter what sin that you're stuck in, the power of God is on you. It's in you. It's a part of you. The Father has given it to you. You already have it. He sees you. He feels compassion for you. And his riches are being poured out and laid out before you. And they're yours for the taking. This hope, this power, you feel powerless? He has power for the powerless. Not in the way that the world gives it, but in the way that it was intended. In, the way that you were, in a way that you were designed. You were not designed to be the ultimate authority. You were not designed to determine how sex should happen in your life. You were not designed for that. The world's delusional thought process and our, the, what we've bought into is that I have the power to make that. And Jesus offers you, through the resurrection, incredible power to bring about great change in your life and in my life. This incredible power toward us who believe according, now listen to this, according to the working of his great might, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe it's, it's, that's the power. It's toward us who believe. And it's to the measure of, it's in line with, according to the working of his great might, that what? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The power that resurrected Jesus Christ is available to you and it is on you. It's a part of you. It changes you. It transforms you. It absolutely has the power to transform you. And do you know what's missing? I think this is why Paul is praying this prayer. Go back to the beginning. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. I, don't give thank, I, I do not cease to give thanks for your remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you would know this level of hope. This level of hope comes from the Father's love for you. This level of hope comes from what he's done for you. Another one of my favorite passages in Ephesians, which I didn't tell the guys in the back about. Is Ephesians 3:14, another prayer that Paul prays. He says, "For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father." 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Why does he keep saying that? I want you to know the power. I want you to see the power that, that has been given to you. That he, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is a spiritual life. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that I, that I sense, that I grasp. The Father sees me. He loves me. Before I've even repented, before I've, before I've even said a word, he loves me. Before I even tried to obey one of his commands, he loved me. And that he would strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, not through works. That Christ may dwell in your hearts, not through uh, the, the church. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts, not through what you do, not through anything else. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted, and I love what the, the NIV says, that you being rooted and established in love, what? The Father's love for you. The Father loves you so much. The Father cares for you so much. He desires you so much. In fact, Psalm 103, 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He loves you like a child. He loves you in every way possible. He, he, he sees all of the flakiness. He sees how destitute you are. He sees all of the ways that you've been hurt by the church. He sees all the ways that you've hurt the church. He sees all of the ways that you have trounced on his word and not listened to him. He sees all of the ways of your spiritual depression. And he loves you. And what the apostle Paul says is he says, if you could just experience the love of the father that is in accordance with, it's on the level of the magnitude of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that level of power that has to come into your life and has to bring about a resurrection of heart and enable you to enter the party and to enjoy this God and to love him. Like that's what has to take place. That you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints, the ESV says. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you would know this love from God through Christ so much that it would be it would just be dripping off of you. That you could jump up in the morning, you could say, I'm a child of God. I'm loved by him. I, I don't have anything that keeps me from the love of God. The love of God is after me. It's on me. It's in me. It's around me. It's working its way through my life. It's bringing me out of craziness. It's bringing me into sobriety. It's bringing me out of a far country and it's bringing me to the home that I've been trying to create through my utopia, through my desires, through my will, through my way of life. Oh, man. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I know I just said that. The love of Christ that comes to you by the power of the Spirit takes you to a new level of crazy. See, it's crazy 
There's a mental health crisis going on when you say, I'm gonna live life on my terms, in my ways, by my laws, by my rules, by my feelings, according to the world, according to social media, according to the news, according to what everybody has to say. That's crazy. But then you come to the point, if you, you, you get downright crazy Christian, like crazy Christian. A crazy Christian is somebody who comes to the point where they're like, I don't even know what I know. I don't even know how it happens. I don't even, I don't even know how I feel it. But it surpasses knowledge. It surpasses my ability to even know it. It's like it's beyond. It's above. It's, it's far and away. Way more than I could ever provide myself. The world is telling you to love yourself. To thine own self be true. All of that crap. And look where it leads us. No, you don't need to know your self-love. It, it is good to love self in the way that God would have you love self. You cannot love your neighbor without understanding love for self, for sure. But what he really wants, is, wants you to know is the love of Christ, that you don't even know how you know it. It surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you want fullness of God? Are you tired of humdrum Christianity? I've been saying this for a long time. I'm starting to believe it. <laughs> you tired of humdrum Christianity? You tired of being a bench warmer? Eugene Peterson gives us some, some thoughts here. He says, the practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. This practice is not a vague wish upward. I wish I could float up and ascend to heaven like Jesus. That's not what it's saying. It's not a vague wish upward, but comprises a number of discreet but interlocking acts that maintain a credible and faithful way of life, real life, as, a, as opposed to fake life, real life. This is what you were designed for, real life in a world preoccupied with death and the devil. These practices include the worship of God in all the operations of the Trinity. You wanna, you wanna think about the love of God? You wanna think about who he is, what he's like? This is, this is what we do together, not just in singing, but with our lives. We're worshiping God in all of these capacities by the power of the Spirit. We're worshiping God the Father as being sovereign over all things. We're worshiping the Son as having gone to the cross for us and multitude, a multitude of other things. The second thing is the acceptance of a resurrection born from above identity in baptism. Baptism isn't just a rite of passage. It's a picture of this is what has happened to me. This is, I have been resurrected with Christ. I've been brought from death to life. That's what baptism is. That's what we did on Easter Sunday. It's participation in resurrection life. The embrace of resurrection formation by eating and drinking Christ's resurrection body and blood at the Lord's table. We're gonna do that in just a moment. It's, it's embracing the, the resurrection formation. It's, we're, we're embracing what he's done for us on the cross. And it is in, in and through that that he is raised from the dead. Attentive reading of and obedience to the revelation of God in the scriptures. How many of us are attentively reading and obeying God, not just reading about God in school, not just trying to get through a one-year Bible program, but re reading God and having God read us, like being filleted by the scriptures, like knowing God. Prayer that cultivates intimacy, cultivates an intimacy with realities that are inaccessible to our senses. 
It's a prayer life that goes beyond just, God, will you give me this and will you give me that, which I get into the habit of so much with my kids. God, thank you for this and thank you for that and thank you for the other, other thing. But, but do they really know about like meditation with God in the quiet moments of my life when I'm just like, God, help. God, I need you. God, what do you want me to, to see and hear and feel? I was praying that last night because I went to bed last night. And I, and I was like, God, I, I don't know what you want me to say. I don't know what you want me to, uh, to say this uh, tomorrow morning. And I couldn't sleep. And so I'm just trying to listen to God. I'm trying to hear him. I'm trying to know him. Confession and forgiveness of sins. It's, it's understanding that our shame doesn't define us. It understands that God is is more forgiving than anything or anyone that you could possibly know. That God, that his mercy pours out more. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God longs to be gracious to you. And he's already, he sees you in a far off country. He loves you, confession and forgiveness of sins, accepting that. Welcoming the stranger and the outcast. It's bringing the person into our community group that doesn't seem like they fit. It's bringing the person off the street who are gonna have a great opportunity as the mission moves next door. Resurrection life means, means this, not just a list of rules to keep, but it means that we are welcoming the stranger in the way that God has welcomed us as strangers and aliens and made us family. How can we claim to be living resurrection life when we don't pass it on to others? Working and speaking for peace and justice, healing and truth, sanctity and beauty. So much that could be said about that. And care for all the stuff of creation. We're here to put, uh, to care for his creation. How do you live resurrection life? It has to begin with what the Father has done through the Son by the power of the Spirit. It has to be that he would dwell in your hearts through faith, that he would enlighten your eyes, that you would see my son was dead and he is alive. That is a verse to you. It is about you. It is for you. We had to celebrate. Men and women, will you enter the party. Because I want to party. I want to party with you. I want to enjoy God with you. I don't want to put on a show for you. I know you don't want that either, really. I want to party with you. And guys, there's so much going on in our lives today. There's so much happening today that's keeping us from these practices. That's keeping us from practicing knowing the love that the Father has for us. And so can, can we go to the Lord's table here? The communion's gonna happen this way. You got some ushers that are coming forward. There's going to be two here and two right there. Kind of did it differently recently because you've been, you guys have been spilling your grape juice all over the floor. You've been waiting for my sermon to get over and you're, I don't know, or you got thirsty or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, would you just get up right now, grab communion, and then we'll, we'll finish this out. Don't, don't partake yet. I'll lead us through this. This will be less awkward next time. Would you just stand with me? Let me all just stand here.
Would you bow your heads with me? Can we just talk here for a second? Could you just ask yourself, have I entered the party? Do I know the love of the Father the way that this younger brother does? Have I just been doing this so long that I don't have a clue? Can we just pray right now? Lord, I want to pray the apostles, the Apostle Paul's prayer for us. That by the power of your spirit and according to your resurrection power, that the Father executed in your life, that that offer is available to us today by the power of your spirit. Lord Jesus, I'm praying right now that all across this room, that there would be hearts that are broken that would come to their senses. And Lord, that they would just be honest through confession of sin, confession of complacency, confession of thinking that they can work their way to you. Lord, I pray that that would be happening right now. And Lord, would they celebrate that you are dwelling in us and that Lord, I pray that you would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love. It's in your name. Jesus said, I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to see it. I want you to taste it. And he says, this is my body which was given for you. This is how much I love you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, my love is never stopping. It's never giving up. It's always and forever. I'm looking for you on the horizon. I see you, my child. I love you, and I poured out my blood for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy.